going to start the truth to you right now. I read on parenting not because I'm fascinated by early childhood development or education or trends in parenting. Hell no. This is not interesting to me. But I am interested in being the best parent I can be, which is why I do it. I see it as a path to my end goal. Like if I really want to run a marathon, I need to know what happens when I shit my pants. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Hello, Pivoter. I am so glad you are here today and that we are having this conversation. This podcast is very specific today. It's a podcast for anyone who is a parent or wants to be a parent and wants to be very intentional in their parenting and actually enjoy the process. It's based off of a question I was asked on social media, so I decided to share Eight things I do to enjoy parenting, be a super present parent despite all the things I have going on in the week, and how to show up as the best for your kids. This is a big week for our family for several reasons. We've got several graduations, graduation parties, celebration of milestones everywhere. And peppered in with all that excitement, both of my daughters also have the stomach bug. So it's been a balancing act, or rather what I always refer to here as a rebalancing act. But all those milestones, those graduations, our oldest wrapping up with elementary school have prompted a social media post by me. As usual, during times of change, I move into reflection mode that I then share often on social media. Actually, side note, if we aren't already connected there, let's do that. I am the April Garcia on just about every platform. So here's what I posted on Facebook. They tell you it will go fast, that it won't be like this for long, that you will blink and they will change, expand, grow. I heard it so many times from older parents that it was almost expected in every conversation. And now, watching our oldest finish elementary school and our niece finish high school, it has certainly been true. I'm so glad I didn't miss it. I'm so glad that all those well-intentioned, experienced parents shared their insight, their wisdom. Because of your words, I stayed present. I stayed engaged. The pickups, the playdates, they were all made sweeter because you shared that this time passes fast. Thank you to all the older parents that taught us not to rush a stage, a season, or even a conversation with our kids. So that was my post. I was passionate. I was emotional. I was reflective. Like graduations, weddings, the end of the calendar year, these things make me reflect on life, family, the passage of time. I do not miss these critical opportunities to reflect on my role in the grand scheme of things. And when I do that, as I have done my entire life, I will then share what I processed, how I understood it to be, and this week was no different. And though I am not a parenting expert, I did get a lot of comments, a lot of messages, DMs, and they all had a through line. And this is important, which is why I'm deciding to share it with you today. 
I'm going to share one message from Elisa out of Chicago that kind of summarizes the through line. And then I'm going to answer her question and probably yours as well. This is from Elisa. I know you're one busy woman. How do you make time for your business, yourself, and still feel like you are there for your kids? I know it won't feel like that every day, but it should feel like that over the weeks and the months, right? What are your boundaries or your rules? How are you doing it? Now, Elisa's asking a very important question. She's asking a question I've fielded a hundred times, the how do you do it all? And most importantly, how do you seem to enjoy it too? It's a really big question. I'll read the short answer I gave her in the moment, and then I'm going to expand to a much larger answer. So here's what I wrote back. I have boundaries. I have rules, mindset hacks, mantras for the moment, visualization exercises. I have an entire tool belt of these things to make me a present, joyful parent. Now, as I reread it to you, I realize that I misspelled the word exercise. Damn it. So yeah, no one's perfect. Do you have those words? Those words that no matter how many times you spell them, the first pass is always wrong. I personally have three culprits, exercise being one of them. The other two words that I always struggle with is restaurant and maintenance. Those words are cursed. I spell them wrong every time. So I answered Elisa's question on Facebook. Rules, mantras, visualization, exercise. I answered her in a broad overview way that really just begs more questions. So I'm going to answer them more completely here. Again, I'm not a parenting expert, but I'm pretty damn good with people, interpersonal communication, and I'm a master of the self. And though those things have helped, I got to be honest, the books, the podcasts I've listened to have tremendously helped my parenting. Really sage advice from experienced parents, those were game changers. What am I saying here? I'm saying I've got a designed peer group of experienced parents too, and that's a lot And judging by the messages I get, people have got questions about this. So I'm going to speak on parenting. On this high performance and mindset podcast, we're talking about parenting because if you are a parent, it's really just another spinoff of that, like being the best that you can be. So here we go. I think about parenting a lot. I don't just parent. When we just parent, we tend to fall into one of two things. We end up parenting exactly the way we are parenting. So this is number one. We'll parent the same way that we are parenting because, well, this is how I was raised and I turned out fine. Also, let the record show, just because you managed to endure something is not evidence that it was the right something. That's the first camp people fall into. The second option is, I hated how I was raised, so I'm going to do the opposite which often ignores the parts of our upbringing that was good, effective, pieces that could be used. So for me, I created a third option for myself. I take the best and leave the rest. But this is a decision. Like, we got to think about this stuff. So we are now thinking about our parenting. We're not just parenting. Let's get into the eight things I do to be a more present, more available, more better parent. All right, so number one. Number one is educate. I read books on parenting to make me a better parent. I listen to podcasts on it. And I'm going to be really honest on this one. Well, on all of them, but I'm going to start the honesty. I'm going to start the truth to you right now. I read on parenting not because I'm fascinated by early childhood development or education or trends in parenting. Hell no. This is not interesting to me. But I am interested in being the best parent I can be, which is why I do it. I see it as a path to my end goal. Like if I really want to run a marathon, I need to know what happens when I shit my pants. That's kind of how I see parenting. I got to understand it. Even if the conversation isn't riveting for me, being a good parent is. So that's why I educate. 
And under the educate, you're like still stuck on the whole, is April for shit her pants running marathon? No, no, I haven't. But I do know all about it. And I'm prepared for that. Moving right along. Under the educate category, it's not just educating myself on parenting, but educate myself on my kid. Know my kid. Know what drives them. Know what lights them up. And also know what crushes their little soul. If you're not sure, watch their face in the moment. It'll let you know. So for me, because especially when they're young, they're not old enough to hide their emotions. Let's encourage them to just feel them. So watch their face and you'll see what lifts them up, what elevates them, and then also what crushes them. So for me, I learned what my kids' love languages were based off of the Five Love Languages book. This isn't just a tool to understand your partner. Understand your kids with the love language. So For example, one of my daughters, her love language is time spent. This is important because it helps us understand when she's struggling, she really needs us to play a board game with her. Usually Monopoly, the longest board game that's ever created by man. Or she needs to paint with a friend. She needs an investment of time. That helps. Words of affirmation, the great job, I love how you did XYZ, that doesn't fill her cup. In fact, I've learned this twice. She was probably about eight. This just perfectly captures how much words of affirmation doesn't do it for her. She was trying to jump off the high diving board and people were around her trying to cheer her on. Like, come on, you got this. You're brave. She didn't do it. She didn't jump. She had to do like the walk of diving board shame. Shimmy back down, back on the diving board, then down the ladder. She walked up to me and she said, mom, I get really frustrated by people trying to encourage me. It actually makes me feel worse. Wow. Okay, noted. That is not how I'm wired, but it is how she's wired. She is time spent. For my oldest daughter, her love language is receiving gifts. This was huge to understand because it looks like this kid always wants a new toy. Well, she does. And it could be like a $2 widget out of a vending machine, but it's the act that matters to her. And then when she gets it, it means the world to her. That's how she feels love. So let's be real here. You can't always get another toy or play Monopoly with our kids, right? But understanding how they experience love is important because you could be speaking Italian to your kids and they understand Japanese. Also true of our partners. Let's move on to number two, release expectations. I had to let go of a lot of expectations to enjoy being a parent. And I'm not always good at releasing expectations, but I am getting better each day. So (laughs) I'm abandoning expectations with my family all the time. We might set out to have one experience, one adventure, but then it's just not happening. So I don't force it. When I force it, it becomes miserable for everybody involved. So I pivot. If we're going on a family vacation, they're not going to be heavily scheduled days. I learned that in the years of traveling overseas, especially in group travel, and even more so with our kids, a heavily scheduled day is just pre-planned disappointments. Shit goes sideways, especially with kids. Know that. Accept that. The desire outcome can be less important than how we made everyone feel In the process, if we're like barking orders and letting them know loud and clear, hey, you screwed up this day. You're the reason why this isn't working out. Well, that is not a good experience. I try to focus less on what we want to do and more about what we want to experience. And that's not just travel and schedules, but I'm talking about not giving into a bunch of societal or mama expectations that I didn't want to do anyhow. Here's a very specific example of me abandoning expectations. So I don't usually do goodie bags at birthday parties. So if you're a parent of a young child, you know all about the goodie bags at birthday parties. It's a simple thing, but I don't want to do it. Good on you if you do it. I hope you do it because it brings you joy or brings your kid joy, but it does neither in my household, so I don't do it. 
When we are going through the parenting motions, make sure there are things you actually want to do that matter to you or matter to your kid. If you're cool with store-bought cupcakes, then own it. When there's an easy button, don't be afraid to use it. Let's release some of those expectations. Number three, I reject comparison. I refuse to let my kids' achievement or lack of achievements be a point of comparison or even worse, competition. You do you. I don't compare myself to other parents or even take notes of their activities unless it's purely for learning purposes. For example, oh, cats have their kids at level five swimming. I should see what instructor she uses because I'd like them to be at level five because we spend a lot of time at the lake. This is one way in which I parent in my 30s and now in my 40s totally different than if I would have been a parent in my 20s. I would have pushed my kids hard at these things. Specifically, I would have pushed my girls to excel academically. Because when I was young, I did all those things. I did honors and the dean's list and anything that could make me stand out as being smart from the crowd. I thought it mattered so, so very much back then. I would have pushed them to do similar, thinking it was key. Now I'll encourage them to do it if they want to do it. If they're sitting in class and they're super bored, yeah, let's go in a GT. Let's do the honors roll. Let's do all those things. They are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. They're amazing. If you're like, hey, my kid's on the honor roll and I'm super proud, you should be. But I approach these things differently now. I've got the gift of wisdom. I know the brightest and most fulfilled clients that I work with today often didn't have the best grades. They didn't win the state championship. They weren't always top of their class. Frequently, they are not. So now in my 40s, I don't push these things like I would have in my 20s. I don't have honor roll and lifelong success so tightly correlated in my mind now. Number four, productive scheduling. I have a schedule and I honor my schedule. Yes, I am busy. Good Lord, I do a lot each week. But the productivity tips I give on this podcast, the tools I mentioned to mastering distractions, are all the things I use every day. So having a productive schedule is really important. My multiply me method always helps me get the right things done each day. Simple things like setting a timer for 20 minutes to maintain my focus, turning off digital distractions, always knowing what my one thing is, how to overcome procrastination, things that I've talked about with you here. This is how I get the schedule working for me. It's not perfect. It never will be. But the framework is amazing and allows me to get massive amounts of things done without working 60 hour weeks. Though this part is very important. We're not going to stay on this section. We're not going to stay on productive scheduling because we've talked about it at length. But if you've got questions, send them over at info at pivot-me.com. We'll point you to some tools and some videos and resources. Number five, Mind the narrative. I am very aware of how I speak to my girls. Again, I have the gift of wisdom that I would not have in my 20s. Working with adults all over the world and coaching them to change their story has taught me one thing loud and clear. My words, as a parent, my opinion, when they are young, is the most influential thing in their lives. It becomes the way they talk to themselves. And this is very hard to change for an adult later. A person can change their inner narrative. We've talked about several ways on this podcast, but it takes quite a bit of personal development work. It can be changed, but it is a hell of a process. I don't want them to have to change their inner narrative because I didn't talk to them well when they were young, because I got frustrated, because I got angry and called them lazy or told them that they are the reason we are always late. These comments are sticky. They stick with them. The kids carry them for a long time. Now, is this part really hard as a parent? 
Oh, yeah, it is. So you're like thinking, great, April, so I need to feed them. I need to clothe them. I need to learn new math. And then I need to be aware of everything I say to them because eventually it will be the harsh way that they speak to themselves. Well, yeah, at least when they're really young. In my experience, if you call your seven-year-old lazy, years later, they're going to need to process through that because those words stick. They leave a lasting bruise. They just do. It's a lot of weight as a parent, I know, but it does get easier the more you mind the narrative. Once you get in the habit of minding how you talk to your kids, it does get easier. Will there be bad days? Sure. Will you screw up? Sure. And when you do, when you do screw up, because you will, we all do, we apologize. Yes, we apologize to our kids. And not the apology that is focused on their mistake. It cannot be... (sighs) When you put the water cup on the nightstand, even though I told you not to do it and you did it anyhow and it spilled everywhere and it ruined the iPad, I lost my temper and I'm sorry. This is not an apology. This is a backhanded apology. This is us justifying our point even further. Let's be clear. It's totally true. I did tell you not to put the water cup next to the iPad 10 times. I explained what would happen if you did this. You shook your head in acknowledgement. It is frustrating as a parent. We do get really mad, but their brain isn't formed yet. Sometimes they don't even have the most basic things figured out. And when we, the adults, screw up, we need to own it in its purest form. That's what the apology needs to sound like. It needs to say, hey, when the water spilled, I lost my temper. I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. I'm going to work to do better next time. That's it. It doesn't have to be a long explanation. You don't have to point it back to their action or inaction. You just own it. And this part takes strength, takes self-awareness. But if you are a Pivot Me listener, my guess is you are really good at both of those things. So moment of truth. Here is what this scenario looked like in my house three days ago. So we're trying to get ready for the graduation party at our house. My daughters are literally undoing all the picking up that I am doing. I'm getting frustrated. I'm communicating to them that I need their help in putting their stuff away. They nod, but really could care less in the moment. Then my frustration level peaks. When this situation, which is a situation that's played out like a ton of times in my own household, it's sensitive for me. Like I've been here a bunch of times, so my frustration level goes from zero to 10 real fast. I started grabbing toys and I'm throwing them in the garage. No, I'm not placing them. I'm throwing them. I'm not proud, but this happened. The house needs to be cleaned. My family isn't helping. So the toys are making a very quick exit through the garage door. What am I doing in this moment? I am throwing a tantrum. I did not get my way, even though I was right. And now I am acting out. Was I in the right for demanding that they pick up their toys? I sure was. Should they have done it? Absolutely. Did I need to get mad and throw their toys out the garage door? Nah, I could have skipped that part. I did that because I was angry and I wanted to show them that I was angry. And let's remember anger, it's a secondary emotion. It's a good emotion to pull. We immediately reach for it because we're like, oh yeah, I can access anger really fast, but it is secondary. So if I'm being really honest, under that anger is hurt that I wasn't getting helped that I was carrying the load alone, but that awareness only comes later. Instead, you're just like, no, I'm just angry. That's what's happening. I'm just angry. So after I did this, after I did my angry throwing, what did I do after? About five minutes later, I sat them down and I apologized. I explained that I was upset. I felt like I wasn't getting help when I asked for it. So I became frustrated. 
They didn't make me frustrated. I became frustrated and I didn't handle it well. And I was sorry. And next time I will handle my frustration better. And then I said I wanted to discuss later how that situation could play out differently in the future. And hours later, we did discuss that they leave their damn toys all over the freaking living room all the time. And I don't want to pick them up. And if they don't, which is likely, like when I asked, there's a good chance they're not going to do it right away, that they will be placed in a box. They will be moved to the garage. Ultimately, do the toys end up in the garage when they don't pick them up? Yeah. But the way that I execute on that looks very different. The point is I need to show them how to apologize. I need to show them that adults make mistakes. We make tons of mistakes. I need to normalize that. Do my kids ever flex on me and say, hey, mom, you should apologize over that? No. No, they don't. They aren't teenagers yet, though. But me apologizing to my kids, it happens. I apologize because I make a mistake. I also apologize because I want to model being a decent human and decent humans apologize for their mistakes and they own their actions, even their tantrums. Everything demands your attention right now. You want to be on your A game, but you need two of you just to manage your day. But what if I could multiply you? What if I told you there are secrets that top performers are using right now to still get ahead? There are, and I'll give them to you. In my new Four Steps videos, I'll show you how to master distraction, practice prioritization, get the right things done without working more hours. And for now, I'm doing it for free. Your time is priceless right now and you need to take back control of your day and your to-do list. Go to pivot-me.com backslash four steps and you can begin the videos within seconds. We all need more time right now and four steps will give it to you. Yes, you can multiply yourself and I'll show you how to do it in four steps. Number six, one-on-one time. I create one-on-one time with each of them. It doesn't have to be all afternoon. It can be 15 minutes, but it needs to be clearly stated, communicated that we are going to have one-on-one times. This does wonders, especially when there are siblings and they are fighting for attention. I can't just spend time with them and then like retroactively say, well, that was our one-on-one time. The anticipation for them is important. Hey, this afternoon, let's take 20 minutes and spend our one-on-one time together. They love this. And what we do in that time is not dictated by me. It's dictated by them. I've done all sorts of things during this one-on-one time. But these are key moments. we got to recognize them. This is part of the intentional parenting piece. Notice it's not like a three-hour chunk. It's not all afternoon. It's like 15, 20 minutes of what they want to do. And you got to see it from their perspective. Remember when you were a kid, the things that really stood out, the things that really matter. Like what happened when you were a kid where you really experienced love? Sometimes it's when a parent crawls under a blanket and you guys are making a fort together and you're just sitting there talking. Just get curious about what really matters to them and set aside time for that. Also, side note, if you have not seen the movie Inside Out, oh man, it is amazing. It's this phenomenal kids movie, but really adults should watch it too. And they talk about core memories. So this is a little bit different, but kind of the same idea about creating memories. They talk about core memories, and this is like a really impactful moment that kids have, often with a parent when they're young, at least. And this is key to their childhood. And core memories don't have to be like a trip to Disneyland or a pet pony. They are just these little things that make a difference, that stand out, sort of this like 
pattern interrupt. And it's like that moment mattered. So I'm going to give you an example of kind of like this key moment. I don't know if it'll be a core memory for her, but this just came up yesterday. So my youngest and I were having this really busy day shuttling to graduations, convention centers, and we had to manage some challenging circumstances that arose while we were there. I recognized it and she handled them beautifully. We're walking back to the car and there's just kind of a heaviness in the air. So I literally stopped at a big tree that's like on the side of where we parked our car, not totally back at the car, but on the way back to the car, still in a parking lot at a convention center. And I was like, we're going to lay under this tree for 10 minutes. Now, I want to set the stage for you. Okay, so this isn't necessarily like set aside one-on-one time, but it was just a moment where I'm like, "Mm, I need to change some things. I need to change the feel of this afternoon. So let me set the stage. So it's this busy day. We are dressed nice. People are bustling out of the convention center, but we needed a mental break. So down we went, laying flat on our backs, and we're staring up at a tree. We talked about where the squirrels would live in this tree how old the tree probably was. This was a pattern interrupt. Years later, she may not even remember the graduation ceremony, but there's a good chance she's going to remember that moment. And so will I. So creating these sort of moments with your kids, sometimes they're core memories. There's something really important, like in the movie. Sometimes it's a simple thing. Sometimes it's asking them what they want to do, and it's playing dolls or reading a book or getting in a fort or crawling under the bed, which is not easy to crawl back out, I know from personal experience. Sometimes it's laying under the tree, but just know these moments that matter and make sure that you're there for them. Sometimes you create them or sometimes you just acknowledge that, hey, my kid needs this moment and I'm going to be here for it. Number seven the passage of time. I recognize the passage of time. The time is fleeting, not in a fearful way, but in an awareness way. It's like if you break your ankle and you're laid up, you have two choices. You can relax and enjoy the slowing of time and people bringing drinks to you, or you can go with option number two, sit there, be frustrated that time isn't passing quick enough, that you can't do all the things you wish you could do and make yourself miserable. I found raising kids is similar. Sometimes you're laid up with a broken ankle and often no one brings you the damn drinks. But still, you can be present. Don't rush it because before we know it, the ankle is healed and we are off doing our regular business and the moment has passed. Don't rush it. And you can do that by being intentional and recognizing the passage of time. Number eight, live my life too. This is the last one we're going to cover today, but so very important. I try, and this is only in the later years, to live my own life too. Not just the life of a mom, but also live the life I want my kids to live one day. Many well-intentioned parents want their kids to live the life that they wish they had in their childhood. So they go about curating their childhood, working really hard at it, and sacrificing their own life for it. I know I've made this mistake at the beginning of being a parent too, like for about seven years. Parenting is about sacrificing, endurance, dare I say for many, martyrdom. Not because the parent wants accolades for that, but because they think that's how it's supposed to be done. But in raising our kids, we aren't just giving them a childhood. We're also modeling what parenting looks like. I'm not just raising my daughters. I'm also modeling what it means to be a woman and a mother. As my one friend said, cue the song Cats in the Cradle. I don't want to model constant self-sacrifice and selflessness. I don't want to model a woman who gave it all and left nothing for herself, that gave up her own hopes and dreams because she chose to bring children into this world. Because if I do that, there is a good chance they will grow up and do the same as parents. I don't want that life for them. 
or they watch me sacrifice so much that they decide themselves to never be mothers. And to be clear, I had this wrong for much of their life. The mama guilt was real. Family pressure was real. Societal pressure everywhere. I did what I thought a good mother does. And here is one of the books that changed my perspective on that. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. In there, she wrote this Carl Jung quote, which, man, it was one of the most gut-wrenching lines I had read. Also, if you're a fan of Carl's work, you might have your own opinion on how to pronounce his last name. I acknowledge that there's about seven different ways I've heard it pronounced, but I'm just going to go with how I said it this first time. All right, back to our topic at hand. Back to the sentence that rocked me to my core. He wrote, The greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of its parents. The first time I read this in Glennon's book, I mean, it shook me. Have you ever read something and you have to close the book and you have to put it on your lap and stare off into the middle distance for a while? That was that line for me. Like when I was reading her book and I read the line from him, it was like a gut punch. And then I had to gut check myself. Had I placed this burden on my kids? And then the next logical question, had someone else placed this burden on me when I was a child? I definitely received, as Glennon Doyle calls them, memos along the way about what good parenting looked like. A memo that said the greatest mark of a mother is her sacrifice, her selflessness. Literally to lose thyself is what true mothering is. As Glennon so perfectly said in her book, Untamed, what a terrible burden for children to bear, to know that they are the reason their mother stopped living What a terrible burden for our daughters to bear to know that if they too choose to become mothers, this will be their fate. Because if we show them that being a martyr is the highest form of love, that is what they will become. They will feel obligated to love as their mothers loved. After all, they will believe they have permission to live only as fully as their mothers allowed themselves to live. Bam. Ouch. Let me read that last part again. Permission to live only as fully as their mothers allowed themselves to live. Again, that shook me. And the truth is, I'd gotten the same memos that Glennon had. Many of us had about being a parent. I say burn the memos. Write your rules for being a parent. I want to live fully and I want to give my children permission to live fully. That doesn't just happen by my words. It happens by my actions. They are always watching, not just how I mother, but how I live my life. So educate yourself. Get curious about your kids. Live your life. Know how to encourage them. Be aware of the immense power you have over their self-talk. Carve out some one-on-one time with your kids. Many times that matters more than the big stuff the goodie bags. Don't give in to comparison. Be productive with your schedule so there's actual space in your day for being intentional. Abandon absurd expectations and don't give in to the comparison game. No one wins that game. Even the winner doesn't truly win. And perhaps most importantly, make time for your life, whatever that looks like for you. A run in the morning, coffee with your partner. For me, it might be hiking or long walks. I love going to cabins and just hanging out and being present and nature and loud music. And (laughs) that connection is so, so important. I've got to do that. And I do that without my kids sometimes. And I let them know this part, this part's for me. This is how I build me up. Sometimes I call them parent play dates, but this is fun for me and I need it just as much as you need your play dates. 
as Glennon so perfectly pointed out, if I wouldn't want my daughter to trade places with me, then I am doing something wrong and it is time for change. To wrap this up, I hope this episode on parenting served you today. I hope it brought some perspective and levity to one of the toughest jobs on earth. For sure, the most challenging and rewarding, but the most challenging job I've ever had. And please share this episode with a friend. There is a parent out there that you know that I need to know. They need to hear this. They need to feel seen, feel guided. Please forward it along to them. We can't let parenting just be automatic. We need it to be intentional. But we aren't done. We're talking next week about how to show up as your best being a parent. Next week, I'm going to share with you my three parenting affirmations I use every day to change how I show up with my daughters in my own household. Join us next week. And until then, man, make it a great day. Go out there and enjoy this. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.